0: Welcome to another episode of Hughes from the Heart. I'm Spencer Hughes coming at you from beautiful Mason County, Washington, in the forests of the South Sound of the Evergreen State. Thanks so much for being here on the podcast. I appreciate your listenership very much. Whether you're a regular or just discovering us today, welcome, welcome, welcome. Please tell a friend, family member, colleague, or cohort about the podcast. And if you like what you hear, please support the podcast. We're barely keeping the lights on, to be honest with you. And the best way to support the podcast is to subscribe to my Patreon. If you're not into subscribing to another podcast or you want to wait but you want to help the podcast out you can make a donation of any amount from my website hughesfromtheheart.com slash support and I hope you will find what we do here worthy enough of a small contribution or hopefully a subscription to the premium content which I update daily for you so podcasts like this one every day on the podcast we talk about health and wellness and mental health physical health spiritual health and meditation and mind and this was right up my alley and uh, was very excited to be in contact with Richard L. Height, who is best known for his book The Unbound Soul and uh, just an amazing story. We're going to let him kind of share some of his bio with us because it is just so rich and so fascinating to me that I, I couldn't do it justice. So Richard uh, good morning to you and welcome to the show and thanks for being with us. Well, thank you for having me, Spencer. It's a real pleasure to be here. Well, this is fascinating, because from a very young age, I was always fascinated with Japanese culture, and I'm very envious that you were able to spend 15 years living in that beautiful country and learning martial arts and meditation and healing arts and... It's it's kind of something like in the back of my head, I think it's like a dream that in another life I'll accomplish that maybe. (laughs) I I don't know that it's going to happen in this one, but you moved to Japan when you were 24 and I just am fascinated by this whole thing. And the fact that you started thinking about these things, enlightenment and meditation and kind of these ethereal things that most adults don't even really ever get into and devote the time they should to learning about, you were fascinated at a young age Tell us about that. How did this cross your mind at around age 12 or so? Uh,
1: it actually, yeah, I, strangely, I watched the Karate Kid, and uh, that, that was what was my motivation for the martial arts. But I'd had, uh, about age 8, I had this repeating dream where there was this spiritual master that, that was asking me to, to find something, you know, some something important that would help people to, to live in harmony. And so that was a, that was the original thing, it, it was a dream that I kept having. It was just a repeated dream. It's a very, very odd thing that I still can't explain fully to this day. But it would repeat exactly word for word each time. And at the end of it, finally, I made a decision, which was I was going to dedicate my life to finding this kind of awareness that it was indicating. And ultimately, through the martial arts, that became my path. And uh, I watched the karate kid. and I'm like, I, wanna, I really want to do that. I want to learn karate. And that's, that's where sort of my actual training began. And uh, got run over by a horse about age 17. I grew up on a horse ranch. Wow. Did a lot of spinal damage. I wanted to be a professional fighter. Um, and that didn't work out after, after the spinal damage, of course. And, um, my training was, became very, very difficult because most martial arts training is reliant on speed and strength and snappiness and, um, you know, that sort of stuff. And my spine just couldn't handle it. So um, my search ended up extending into other options that are less well-known. And I found out about a, uh, uh, from a very skilled fighter, actually, it was uh, one of Hoyce Gracie's, uh, the guy that started the what's now called the Mixed Martial Arts Ultimate Fighter Championship. It was a guy that was the champion a number of times. His training partner, I met his training partner, and he recommended me to go to Japan because it was this great guy in Japan, a real amazing master. And uh, so that's why I ended up going uh, when I was 24.
0: Wow, pretty incredible stuff. And what I find fascinating about all of this with meditation and this particular brand of the total embodiment method we'll talk about and the warriors meditation is that there's no, it, it's one of the hardest things and I guess one of the most fascinating and open-ended best things to ever happen is that the human mind come with a a, a manual. You know, our TVs do, our, all of our gizmos and our cars have big, thick manuals and our uh, DVD players and everything and our cell phones. <laughs> and the mind is something we could spend our whole lives trying to understand and never achieve. And I think that's one of the sadder things is that, we have so much capability inside of us, so much potential, and most of us never reach it because we don't, you know, we're, we're stuck on kind of the TV existence and we're stuck on the mundane and we're stuck on junk food. We live kind of a junk food life most of our lives and, and most of us never break out and discover this stuff. And it's it's one of the sadder aspects, I think, because, I, and that's why I'm I'm heartened by the fact that kids these days are being taught yoga. They're being taught meditation. I was never taught that stuff in grade school. You know, I was taught reading, writing, and arithmetic, and all that's important, but this is such an important part of what a human being is that I wish I had explored at a younger age, and I'm glad that kids in this generation are getting a taste of this at a younger age. Tell us about the total embodiment method versus in the warrior's meditation. I know we'll have more time on my regular podcast to get into this in more detail, but most of us think of meditation as legs crossed. You know, you, you've got your hands on your um, on your lap and you're kind of, oh, mm, you know, that type. That's what most people stereotypically think. As meditation, we're taught maybe to shut out the outside world and just focus on our breathing, focus on stuff like that. But this is a very, very different approach, correct?
1: Yes. Uh, this is an approach that is born of, of martial arts training, very high-level advanced martial arts training, and so I was looking for some sort of bridge between meditation and the training of the martial arts. I wanted it to be one seamless thing, and through my own explorations and training, eventually I came to a certain realization that there are essentially two two types of, of meditation, one of which has completely dominated uh, the worldview, and it's become popular, which is concentration-based meditation. And that's where you, you concentrate on some one point, whatever that is. It could be your breath or it could be a word, or, but it's concentration and the goal, the goal is to exclude information. That type of uh, meditation is just not compatible with daily life. Essentially, it's a religious-based or renunciation practice to renounce the world for religious purposes. You go within and you cut off the senses, and, and that's great for a religious practice, but it just does not lead to any kind of integration into daily life. And since I was looking for an integration into the most hectic, most stressful, most intense moments of my life, the martial arts training, I needed to find something else. And so that's where my exploration led. The total embodiment method is a, a way of actually being in, totally inclusive with awareness so that you can, you can be on, for example, if it were the battlefield back in the ancient times, the master samurai is on the battlefield, and he's aware of all the opponents around him at one time. But from a place of relaxation, it's completely counterintuitive. And then through relaxation and through this deep subconscious awareness and sensory awareness, he, m- he navigates his way through that that, uh, that danger.
0: Now, what I grew I up...
1: Is that that blends completely, perfectly with the stresses of daily life. So,
0: exactly. Absolutely. I grew up in um, Catholic school. I rejected it pretty early on, remained a Catholic, kind of, uh, in theory, less in practice for a good chunk of my adult life, and then became kind of more spiritual and I explored spirituality over religion and and, uh, organized religion specifically and I found that I was much happier doing that and what I love about this too is you can detach even the spiritual from it which a lot of people think might be kind of anathema to to what meditation is but after reading your book, The Warrior's Meditation, one of your many books, I realized that you you can detach from that because I find that a lot of friends I try to talk to about meditation, they reject it right off the bat, because they think it's kind of woo-woo, they think it's, yeah. it's kind of otherworldly, they think it's new age, uh, right. you know what I mean, kind of junk, and I, I, I think you're on the right track going in this direction, because a lot of people reject meditation, because they think you have to be religious, it's praying, it's affiliated with some type of organized religion, and it really isn't. Yeah, that's right, that's
1: right. It's just, this is the, just the instinctive, there's an instinctive meditation that can occur under the right circumstances circumstances that very few modern humans ever encounter, so we don't discover it. So all, that kind of other, all other types of meditation are basically kind of contrived from the farming-type lifestyle that we have, where there's not dangers, where you don't have to be aware of your surroundings. But in those certain specific um, experiences that would be akin to a hunter-gatherer type thing or, or warriors that are living out in the jungle, that kind of thing, a certain instinctive meditation emerges. And so that's what the warrior's meditation is really about. And the warrior's meditation is just the base level. Um, it's a bridging method to get people up to a certain type of awareness that my teacher and I were practicing in Japan. And it goes through the senses. Uh, it's very powerful, and as you said, it's not connected to any religion or anything like that. It's just, it's just instinctive. And so what we're doing through the practice is actually triggering a kind of inner instinct toward awareness. And it, because it's instinctive, even kids can do it well. In fact, kids do it better than adults do, typically. Up
0: until, I don't know, maybe the last five or ten years, it seems to me, this wasn't really talked about with kids. Parents don't really even understand it, let alone be, be able to teach it to their kids. And a lot of teachers, certainly in parochial schools, stay away from this because of that concern that it's indoctrination or this miss conceived notion that people have that meditation equals religion and somehow it's tantamount to teaching religion in schools but it really isn't um so it's a shame really when you think about the kids are really more in tune to this and they catch on to it quicker than adults do and yet a lot of them aren't taught that what are your thoughts on teaching kids at least rudimentary basics of meditation at an early age
1: i think it's i think it's an incredible uh, opportunity if we could seize upon it and unfortunately, as you just said, the association between meditation and uh, some sort of religious structure really holds back the process. And so, these days I've actually just been using the word awareness a lot more often. But I define awareness as being something quite different from how most people think of awareness. Most people think of awareness as like alcohol awareness, you know, campaign. It's, it's essentially knowledge, right? Right. But what I'm talking about is something that's actually much deeper underneath, if we were to look at the like brain structures underneath the structures that hold knowledge much more in tune with the organism itself it's just a complete awareness of what is occurring in this nowness whatever this moment is it has nothing to do with your thoughts beliefs ideologies or anything like that when 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 the nervous system settles into that awareness there's just clarity and and that really is awareness now it's not knowledge it is awareness at that moment there is not a feeling of i am richard or I'm a this or I'm a that. I'm a doctor or whatever. It's none of that. It's just clarity. And, well, if there were anything that would help people now, it's, it's, it's that clarity. And that includes children.
0: And I think we're at a at a crossroads here of something. I don't know exactly what it is. It seems that we, we had the coronavirus, which was just unreal to all of us and unprecedented in any of our lifetimes. It seems that we're in very uncertain times, to say the least. And meditation can help focus right Uh, more during uncertain times it seems like if anything this warrior's meditation is more important now than perhaps at any other time in most of our lifetimes
1: yes yes absolutely so what's happening is is everybody's arguing and and fighting and feeling the stress and basically they're stuck in a beta wave brain a beta brain wave there's different brain waves that you experience throughout the day when the body's balanced beta is not the brain wave that you're normally in example hunter-gatherers spend their their day being peripherally aware noticing the environment around them because if they don't you know they get it eh. <laughs> yeah yeah but surprisingly that doesn't create an anxiety in them that awareness creates a calmness right because it's an it's alpha brain wave it's actually a, a slower brain wave it actually allows the body to stay in a rest and recovery mode and not a fight flight mode which right now everybody's right constantly in a state of anxiety producing fight flight mode it's as if we're we're being preyed upon all the time right
0: and, but, and that's not good for us it's not it's good for our physical bodies it's not good for, good it not good for uh, yeah. mentally certainly
1: that's right it, it stresses all the organs it stresses every aspect it throws off the hormones the, the, it's a disaster to live in in beta right and but that's what people are right now and no solution can come from that because there cannot be clarity Right. So, so the the first step is just to get back to clarity, and then from there you can you can start to communicate just as beings, you know, do, not beings of this race or that race, or this ideology or that ideology, or this party or that party, but just as beings.
0: It seems to me that people have complicated life more than we need to. Do do, do you agree that I mean we have our challenges. Obviously, we need to survive. We need to make money. We need to support our families. We need to have balance. We need to have all this stuff, but. I feel like we complicate things way too much as well. And, and one of the most powerful, you have a lot of powerful passages in this book, but in chapter 11, if you don't mind, I'm going to quote here. You say, once you realize that at least to a great degree, what you perceive may be occurring only within your brain, you can then begin to look at what your brain is perceiving and projecting with great curiosity, with fresh eyes, as it were, not assuming that what you perceive of the world or of yourself is ultimately true. And I think that's brilliant because that's the key to everything, isn't it? Everything that happens to us is in our own mind. I mean, everything. I mean, it's our perception from the pandemic to the riots, to the protests, to our health, to our jobs, to our family relationships. It's everything occurs inside the brain. If our brain were to shut off, all of this stuff would cease to exist in kind of an existential description, I guess. I mean, the world would go on for those still in it. But if your brain shut off right now, that's it for you. Everything's unplugged.
1: And you wouldn't even know the world was going on without you in it.
0: Right. So everything is, you know, I used to think it was kind of woo-woo, kind of goofy stuff when I'd read authors uh, who I now have great admiration for saying things like, The sun rises for you. The sun sets for you. The birds sing for you. There's joy in the world for you. There's music for you. And I thought, well, that's kind of selfish. That's kind of (laughs) strange. But it really is true because I'm the only one that can experience that. I can only.
1: Reflection of the nervous system's perception of being in a box. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's fascinating and it blows my mind. It really does. And I, again, I wish I, I mean, I went to Berkeley for goodness sakes and I didn't get into this stuff. I mean, if you can't get into this stuff at Berkeley, where, where are you going to get into it? Right. I mean, I wish I'd gotten into this certainly in my college years, but it's just an endless fascination and, and learning process for me that we're, we're, I don't think we'll ever fully understand how the mind works, but I think we overcomplicate things. I think life is a lot more intuitive and melodic than we give it credit for, and we just have to kind of get back in tune with maybe what our ancient ancestors knew Mm. a little more innately, you think?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I I think that it's not something that we have done wrong per se. It's actually an inherited lifestyle that creates this phenomenon. So essentially, if you were to look at the human being as, an expression of the earth, just like any other animal, when we're you know, the less insulated, there's a certain amount of insulation that every creature needs from the, the elements. But when you get beyond what is necessary, you're actually insulating the psychology from the corrective mechanism, which is nature. And when you insulate the psychology from the corrective mechanism, you start to go insane. Anxiety is going to pick up. You're going to be in beta brainwave all the time. So it's just a, just a natural phenomenon of being separated psychologically from the earth, right? Right. The right. hand-to-mouth kind of get your fingers in the soil to, to, to move through nature, as, not as if you were moving through an external environment, but as if you're moving through your home, right? Not like an alien, but right. as, as, as an actual Earthling, and human beings on a subconscious level, maybe even on a conscious level, we don't feel like we're of the Earth. We, we treat the Earth as if we're alien to it.
0: Oh, that's so true. It really is true i mean we we act like we're not a part of like we we think of the animal kingdom and then ourselves detach from it and that could be one of our greatest errors. I know people who are very happy in big cities living in skyscrapers, fifty stories up, and their tiny little cubicles of of homes and I I wonder if they've conditioned themselves to accept that. I just don't, I can't get myself to believe that that innately is what we need. We don't need 50 story skyscrapers and we don't need a hustle and bustle of dodging taxis just to get across the street to the cafe. And it seems like all these stresses are things we might get used to. But when I'm I'm living in my five acres of forest, I know you're in Southern Oregon and you're in forest as well. I've I've only lived here two years. I wish I'd done it 40 years ago because I have never felt more myself or at peace or in tune than living in this forest. I'm looking out right now from my studio at trees and greenery and hummingbirds coming up to the feeder and there's deer walking around and I think my goodness this is what we should be this this should be kind of our state of mind all the time I think
1: that's right and, and you wouldn't have known that until you experienced it and that's just the reality we don't know what we don't know we don't know what we're missing until until we experience it so when I was you know a young man and I grew up on, in the countryside. I grew up on a horse ranch. So I kind of, like at a young age, I had a strong connection to nature. But when I would meet people that were not connected to nature, they just could, we couldn't relate. Right? And I couldn't understand how they how could you not appreciate this amazing thing that is life. But then, I, you know, after living in, in Tokyo for a long enough period of time, and the, 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 that's what it is, the skyscrapers and all that, they just don't know. They don't know. And, and when they spend enough time in nature, something instinctive starts to emerge. And when that emerges and they feel that, it's, it's less. It's not so easy just to go back uh, to the way you lived
0: before. Yeah, there's not one study that I can find that um, living in tall skyscrapers and dodging taxis on your way to work is, is good for the soul or the mind or the body, but there's growing. <laughs> there's countless evidence showing green belts and now they're saying blue belts and studies all the time showing that just 15 minutes in nature every day, half an hour in nature, yeah. makes a world of difference. Nobody ever says to go on a walk, you know, um, you know, through your boardroom uh, you know in, in the big castles in the sky, they say go out you know with with green under your feet and walk barefoot on the earth and there's just so much to that. If people are wondering, you know, I purposefully kind of left it vague because this is a book to be read. It's a book to be reread. It's a book to really be just to immerse yourself in. And please tell us other. I know the Kindle versions available on Amazon. They can go to RichardLHeight.com. That's H-A-I-G-H-T, RichardLHeight.com, and get the books there as well. And people can contact you, correct? Um,
1: yes. Yeah be ordered in paperback or audiobook and uh, any online store and it would probably be ordered through um through any
0: bookstore. So. Well, I, I'm fascinated by this. I, I really, you quickly um, have become a mentor of mine. Honestly, I don't say that lightly, but I would love to have you back on and we'll delve deeper into this stuff with more detail. Does that sound good? Absolutely, let's do it, Spencer. Okay, I appreciate it, Richard. Thanks for being with us here on the show. Thank you, take care. Thank you for listening to Hughes from the Heart. I have plans to interview Richard L. Height once more on his other books. I'm going to read through all of them and we'll do separate interviews for each book, but I am so looking forward to having him as a regular on Hughes from the heart. To find out about his books and how to order them and also more about the Total Embodiment Meditation, TEM, please visit his website, Richard L. Height.com. richard l height spelled h-a-i-g-h-t.com thanks a lot for listening to hughes from the heart please tell a friend about us at hughes and again if you like what you hear and you haven't supported the podcast yet or signed up to the premium content please consider doing so with a donation or a subscription to the patreon at hughes from support much love to all of you